This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Basically, I'm your host, Stephanie Preisner, and today, again, I am giving you what you want. Many of you have gotten in touch with me asking about tax and money and personal finance. We've had Owen McGee on before, but he is back with us again to talk about personal tax because apparently there are very, very many ways that you can claim, you can reduce your tax bill by claiming your expenses against it that a lot of people don't know about. Yeah, I think the reality is is that anybody who is self-employed is generally on top of this or they have an accountant who's on top of the top of it for them. But PAYE workers aren't. And a PAYE worker, just to keep it really simple, if you get a pay slip once a month from your boss, you're a PAYE worker. Pay as you earn. And the thing about it is when you're not used to it, you tend to just not bother. And then something like this year happens where you're kind of maybe have a little bit more time because your commute's not gone or maybe you're being hit with a wage subsidy scheme tax or a pub tax that you weren't expecting. And you're going to go, oh, hold on a second. When people, PAYE workers do a tax return, on average, now there's different numbers out there when you look at it, but on average, it's somewhere between 800 and 1200 euros of a refund is what you get. That's the average that you get. And so are people, is it possible, so I'm a self-employed person, so I have an accountant, and um, so I don't know what PAYE how that works but does that mean that they get their pay slips and they never have to do and then they don't know when the tax year ends they just so, keep going yeah so I'll actually just let me jump to this for a second because it's really interesting back in the 40s and then in the 60s in Ireland in the 40s in the US up to that point everyone did their taxes like self-employed people did okay. right? and what, what happened is yeah you work out at the end of the year how much tax you owe us and pay it to us within a couple of months and what the US authorities found was people are crap at actually putting the money aside yeah. and doing it. And whatever about self-employed, there's a bit more responsibility and there's a bit more kind of, you're running your own business and you need to be on top of this stuff or you go get put out of business by revenue. But what they found was the majority of people just didn't have the money ready for them. And therefore, what they said was, I'll tell you what we're going to do. When you get paid, we're going to put a responsibility on your boss to take the tax off you there and then and give it to us. Okay, so PAYE workers, they get their income and the tax is already gone so they don't have to worry about it. They don't it. have to worry about it. Now, sometimes there's mistakes made and sometimes the tax system doesn't cope with certain things very well and therefore you do have to stay on top of them. And that's why the average refund is 800 to 1200 euros because there's certain things that just won't go through your taxes. Like, let's just talk about the simple mistakes first. One of the things is, let's say, and particularly the year we had in 2020, let's say you were out of work for two months mm-hmm. or three months. Depending on how sophisticated you, the tax package or the, the, the salary software that your boss is using, in general, what, the, way it's, it's the way it's supposed to work is when you get paid, you apply tax credits to it. But sometimes what can happen is your tax credits are divided by 12 mm-hmm. and you only work for 10 months so there was two months of unused tax credits there. Because it was two months in the middle where you didn't use them, but sometimes the software doesn't cope with that, or particularly if it's been done manually, it doesn't cope with that. So the reality is, is that you could end up in a position if you were between jobs and there was a couple of months in the middle where you had no pay, that you may have paid too much tax and therefore you're due a tax refund. Sometimes, So if you were out of work, even if you were on PUP... And that causes a different complication again because PUP is taxable and as we've, I think we spoke about it the last time I was here as well, PUP is taxable but it's not taxed in real time. Then there's no tax taken out of it. So 
when people went on PUP and when people went on the first wage subsidy scheme, they got a feel for what it's like to be self-employed. You're getting paid money. There is tax due on it, but it's not been taken out of it now and you're going to have to pay, have to. pay so it later on. A lot of people got these tax bills in January by logging on to revenue. Mm. And they now have this bill of around, like, let's say, €800. Euro, and it's important that people know what they can claim against that to reduce that tax yeah. bill. Yeah. So oh. the type of things that they can claim against it are, the, the simple ones are things like medical expenses. Okay, so if you have a receipt from a doctor. Doctor, dentist is slightly different. You can claim back, but it's a different form and it's just there's the certain me- allowances. You need yeah. to go to the dentist and ask them yes. for the form and yeah. then you can claim it. Yes, so dentist is slightly different, but GP, consultant, any medical things like that, you keep all the receipts. What about like physio, acupuncture? Uh, acupuncture, I'm not 100% sure on actually. That's well, a good I one. actually know that some acupuncturists will it's about it's about like whether they're charted and what's covered so you know just check it out yeah so the thing about it is is that and and the other thing is is prescriptions when you when you're paying for prescriptions you can put them through as well you now, know what, that document that you get in the bag with the prescription that's the receipt that that's you need the to receipt exactly for revenue. exactly and the thing about it is is that what you should be doing immediately after if anybody out there has health insurance most health insurance companies now will have an app and you walk out of the GP's practice, and let's say you know sixty euros is what it is. You take a picture of the sixty euros, you stick it into your GP into your um, healthcare app, and you should get a refund. And most plans people are on, they'll get a refund of maybe twenty euros or forty euros, depending on the plan that they're on. And they work really, really well because what happens there is, is you walk out, you have the receipt in your hand, you snap and send is is what one of the big companies calls it. I'm sure there's different names for different companies, and they put the money back into your bank account within a couple of days usually. Yeah, and what most of the companies will also do is, is at the end of the year, you can log in and get a summary of all of your health expenses for the year. Now, it's important to remember, if you paid 60 euro and you got 20 euro back from your health insurer, there's 40 euros left that you can put through tax. You can't put the 60 euros through yes, tax. Okay. You can only put the 40 euros through tax. But it's a really good way. And actually, revenue will accept that the health insurance companies have done their due diligence and have validated that it was a fair claim because revenue, no, the insurance companies wouldn't be paying out unless it was a valid claim. So they'll accept those statements um, for this is a record of my health expenses for the year. Okay. So that's a big one. Medical expenses is a big one. And particularly for people if they've if they've just had a baby, there can be massive expenses that year. Expenses that year. Maternity benefit is actually another one where people don't realise it's taxable and not taxed in real time. That's a Okay, so if you get maternity benefit because you're off after having a baby, you have to pay tax on that. Yes, it's due. To, and that's actually the first time most people find out that they're, uh, that these social welfare benefits are taxable. And how do they get the tax bill? Is it up to you to look at? Because some people are like, oh, I never got a tax bill in the post or I never got an email about it. Is, it on, is the liability on you to check what you owe? Well, you see, no, it, you would expect that revenue would know if you owe tax. But I think we need to change our thinking on this, right? Okay. Rather than, I'm not going near revenue because if I go near revenue, I'm going to have to pay taxes. Or gonna pay. If you go near revenue, it's likely they're going to owe you money. Yeah, and they're so lovely. Like I ha- anyone listening, like I've had to deal with revenue a good few times. Anytime I've rang them because something has been, I've, I've been so overwhelmed by thinking, oh my God, this is going to be such an ordeal. And it's so not. No. And the website's so easy to handle. And they're so lovely when you ring them. And they'll nego- e- they'll deal with you. Even if you're like, even if you do have a tax bill. Once I had a tax bill that I wasn't able to pay, like I didn't realise that it was coming and I hadn't saved the money. And they were so lovely. They set up like a payment scheme for me where I was able to pay back per week mm. what I could afford. It was so not and, overwhelming. And you know what? You're probably talking about a pre-COVID experience there. Yeah. 
they have stepped up their game incredibly since COVID oh, wow. in terms of support. Like okay. they are incredibly supportive, even for companies and self-employed people who are really struggling with their taxes. Yeah, it's been warehoused is what it's called. They're coming up with payment plans. They're, they're really, really stepped up their game. And even for wage subsidy and PUP, anybody who has got a tax bill on wage subsidy and PUP right now, revenue have been really clear from the start. Their actual wording was, we don't want to create any further financial hardship as a result of this tax bill. Okay, they are working with people. You don't have to pay the bill this year. You can pay it next January and you can spread it out over four years then. So the reality is, is that if you don't have enough expenses, we've only talked about one expense, medical expenses. If you don't have enough expenses to reduce the bill and you have to engage and you do owe the money, well, then you will be able to spread it out over a very long period. So what other expenses are there? The other ones which are interesting for this year, I suppose, um, are light and heat. So your electricity bill. Now, people will argue over this one. Let's just call a spade a spade, right? If you put through 10% of your electricity bill and your heating bill, uh, it's unlikely to be questioned by revenue, okay? If you put in 25% or 50% or 15%, it's more likely to be questioned. Now, that's not to say you can't put through 50% of your light and heat, Mm -hmm. but you want to be able to back it up. And And why are you backing up that 50% of the cost has been because of work. Yes, I like well, I spent I'm, 50% of my yeah, time working. Like the the easiest one to do would be I've always worked in the office for the last 10 years. Last year I worked at home for the entire year and my bill went up by 50%, so I'm claiming 50%. Do you know what I mean? Yes, that, okay. that well 50% wouldn't be enough. I need to go by 100% for you to claim 50, but that's just the math in me. But my point is is you'd want to have some substantiation for why you're claiming more than what it's and it's like the 10% is kind of it's just acceptable. Like mm-hmm. that's the way it works. It's acceptable that's it that 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 you've incurred extra cost for being at home. You're working from home and therefore we'll allow you to put this through. The Say other- if you didn't have the internet at home because you didn't need it before. Mm. And now you had to get the internet in because of work. Could you put through 100% of it then? Be like, I only use this. If for you can absolutely 100% that you never, ever you use never used it for anything, okay. that you never, that your phone didn't accidentally go onto the Wi Fi. I'm sorry, I'm being pedantic here because That's this is tax. Tax, you've just said they're quite fair to deal with. Tax is fair. We can't try and dodge our taxes and then give out that there's not enough frontline workers. Do you know what I mean? And this is how this society works. Tax is paying for all these services. Yes, absolutely. So what I would say is, is if you don't, can I say take the piss? Yeah. Okay. If they, if they, if you don't take the piss, the system works very, very well for you. Yeah. And light and heat is one. The other one that's interesting because it was only mentioned in the budget this year is broadband because you've just mentioned it, right? Yeah. Broadband wasn't something that was automatically included, but now they they have put together an interpar- interdepartmental committee to look at all of these things to say right what is fair and what's unfair. There's a catch-all there though, and it's an interesting one because. It puts the onus back on your employer. Your employer can pay you up to €3.20 a day tax-free through your wages to cover all your expenses and you don't have to come up with receipts for working from home. Okay. Your employer, now just be really clear, your employer does not have to do that, but they can do that if you want, if they want. If they do happen to give you that three twenty a day, um, they don't, you can't put your expenses through as well. Okay. Okay, so it's one or the other. So they should be telling you if they're doing that. Yeah, they should be telling you if you're doing that. And to be fair, you're probably better off. If you can get that, it's great. Where it really, people really get caught out, if you're renting and if, say, you and I were renting together and your electricity, the electricity was in your name um, and it wasn't in my name, I can't claim it. Oh, wow, okay. 
which is something you would hope the inter- interdepartmental committee will look, will look at and deal with because now all of a sudden like even if you've got people who are living at home with parents they're not going to have the bills in their name, their name yeah. and you might say you know what if this is going to continue for another year maybe you're better off putting some of the bills in your name it's not huge but it's just a frustrating thing for people because yeah. they're kind of going oh this is this is crap because I'm incurring additional costs but it's not in my name so I can't put it through so they're the big ones there are kind of other ones that you're looking at and you're kind of going where, where else can I claim expenses the reality is is there's a lot of these things have been closed down like okay. you used to be able to put through so much more when you're self-employed you tend to get through a bit more because it's much more obvious that you're incurring costs that other people aren't incurring because you're self-employed yeah. um, like expenses and working and um, development meetings that's an interesting one right and I probably shouldn't say this out loud but you're not allowed as a self-employed or a, a person who owns a company you're not allowed to pay for entertaining clients yeah you are allowed to pay for a dinner that's a business development meeting that's gas. Right? Um, you're not allowed to pay for client entertainment, but you are allowed to pay for staff entertainment. So, like, if you think about it, if I was clever about it, I have some people working with me. If I was clever about it, I can't go out and claim back for my lunch every day. But if I bring all the staff, I can claim the whole thing back and feed myself. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. and this is where good accountants come into it. A good accountant, when you're, when, when if we move outside of the PAYE realm, good accountants will look at this stuff and say, right, this is the best way of putting this through. And this is the legitimate way. I'm not talking about anything else except legitimate, yeah. but this is the right way of presenting this. What was it? Was it client entertainment? What do you mean it was client entertainment? Um, and it was always been, it was, as long as it's reasonable, yeah. well, then you can put it through. Um, and like if the receipt is, so you say you want to claim like business development. So you put in this receipt for like the bar at the Shelburne and call it client development. Are revenue going to be like, ah, here? No, I'll actually give you a great example of that. Yeah, they will be out here. Um, I'll give you a great example. I did have a situation where I was putting something through it was definitely business development, but I went to the accountant first off. This is years ago, actually. Um, I went to the accountant first off and I said, do you know what I want to do? Yeah, I did a presentation to that group of people and we sat down, we had dinner, but we stayed out then. And I said, I just want to put the food through. Right, okay. And the accountant felt that was fair. I'll probably get a phone call now from Revenues. You shouldn't have done that. But no, there was. It was a proper, in a hotel, did a presentation. We went for but dinner. you didn't take the piss by putting the drinks through yeah, as well. and we went for dinner afterwards and then it turned into a night out. Yeah. And I said, I am stopping it after the food. Yeah. And I didn't put any alcohol through on it. And the accountant felt that was very fair and revenue never came back and said it was a massive problem. So they see the point. If you're fair with revenue, they'll, they'll be, be fair, fair with, with you. you. Now, I'd say not many people were doing business development in bars and restaurants <laughs> during this last year. And no. um, the other one that people often don't realise now, a lot of the time they're true unions, but like there are there are certain allowances that you're allowed to have in certain industries. So like nurses, if they are uniform is provided for them, they get a certain credit onto their taxes. If they have to provide their own uniform and wash it, there's another credit and it goes up. These are usually groups of people who have come together like all nurses or mm-hmm. all doctors or all journalists actually get the same allowance where they're allowed to put a certain amount through for their presentation, like their clothes and stuff. Yeah. Um, and that's something that if you're not 100% sure and you think you're in one of those industries and you're not 100% sure about it, well then go and check and talk to somebody about whether you can do this or not. If you're really confused by this stuff, there's loads of companies out there that do this for a PAYE worker. 
they will do a tax return for you. Because I hear ads at the moment yeah. for people being like, just send us your thing and we'll sort it all. Yeah. And then they take, what, 10% of the rebate? Well, typically, I, it depends on what company you're dealing with, but usually they'll, they will charge you a couple of hundred euros, but it's generally worthwhile. And the good ones will be able to look at it immediately. Yeah, I think you're going to be all right here. I don't think we're going to cost you too much in terms of we can see where you're going wrong here. Um, one of the questions people often ask me is, do you think that we're married? We got married last year. We got married two years ago. Should we put our tax credits together? The reality is, is that if you're both earning more than, I'm going to round the numbers, but if you're both earning more than 40 grand a year, it doesn't really matter. If one of you is earning less than 40 grand a year, it's actually 38 something or whatever the figure is, but if one of you earning less than 40 grand a year, it might be beneficial to put the two of them there to rob tax credits off the other person, put them onto your, your higher salary so that you pay less tax. Getting back to the people who found themselves on pop and wage subsidy for the first time and are now sort of in a whole new world, what other clarity can you give to them? The first thing I would say is, is that wage subsidy was created. There's a lot of talk out there, and I'm not sure revenue have helped employers in this position, right? Um, there's a lot of talk out there that this is really unfair on the individual, right. that their boss signed up to the wage subsidy scheme and they now have a tax bill. Because their gross profit became their net profit. Their no, gross their, wage, yes. Their gross wage <laughs> yes. became their... Net wage. So yes. they were actually getting their gross wages there before tax income was being lodged into their bank account, right? And the, the there's two things that are going on here. First of all, if you think about it from... No, but their, their after-tax was going into their... Their after-tax was going into their account, and but it still hadn't been taxed. Yeah, so it wasn't their after-tax, it was their before-tax. They were being given before-tax money. But it was the number that they would usually get after-tax. It, it wasn't, though. So, okay. so to, to be really clear here... the. The reality was the scheme in general was 70% of your wages, okay? okay? And your employer could top you up to 100% if they wanted to. Okay. Okay. They didn't have to, it wasn't a requirement of the scheme, but they could top it up. What lots of employers did was they looked at the 70% and that 70% was not going to have any tax taken out of it. And then they got calculations done to show them whether it was their internal financial controller or their accountant, I want the people that work for me to have the same amount of money going into their bank account, mm-hmm. right? So they come back and says, okay, we'll give them 15% and they'll have the same money going into their bank account today. They still suffered a 15% pay drop there. They okay. did suffer. Now, anybody who got 70% from revenue and 30% from their boss to bring them up all the way to 100% of their ordinary before-tax income, what they will find is that they got a pay rise or what felt like a pay rise. It wasn't. The increase in their money that went into their bank account once a month or once a week, that increase was the tax that you owed. So if you think about it, if you, what has happened here is, is some people felt that they were only getting the exact same wages and now they have a tax bill. The reality was they actually got a pay cut. cut. And it's really important for you to realise that. The other thing that people feel incredibly disheartened by is, is, I was working harder during all of this and now I have a tax bill to pay for it. Now, if you got a pay rise, but felt like a pay rise, you should have been able to feel that and you should have been able to say, OK, put that to one side. It does feel a little bit harder to swallow when you didn't realise you've got a pay cut and now you have a tax bill to pay, even mm-hmm. though you thought the same wages were going into your bank account. So what I would say is, is that the, the other side of it being, I was working really hard, the boss didn't actually need this scheme because we, our business didn't suffer. Revenue have been auditing people. Yes. You signed up at the start as an employer and you said, I need this. And what revenue have been, again, being incredibly fair about was you went into it, but when did you come out? 
Okay. Yeah. Did you come out at the first opportunity that you realised we're actually okay? Uh, or did you just absolutely, were you completely taking the piss out of the scheme? And people are being asked to return the money that they got. Employers have been asked to return the money that they got. For the wage subsidy. For the wage subsidy. Now, the first wage subsidy, there was no tax being taken out of it. By September, when they came out with the second wage subsidy, the tax thing was sorted out. So anyone who was in it the second time, the tax was all sorted out. You were getting it after tax. So you're sitting here now and you're going, right, what will I do? How do I pay it back? It's like I said a minute ago, you contact, them. you contact, you don't even need to contact them. You know what your bill is. You log on, you see what your bill is. You wait a year. If you don't want to pay it right, you can pay it right now. You can go into Revenue Online and pay it right now if you want to. And have it done over. Yeah, you can wait 12 months and then pay it back in one go or you can spread it out over four years. It's very, the system again is very, very fair. fair yeah. There's no there's no interest, there's no penalties for spreading it out over four years um, and it works very well for people who are losing sleep. Nobody should be losing sleep over tax on PUP or wage subsidy and nobody should be sitting there saying my boss really messed with this system and didn't deserve to take this and we were all working harder because if your boss did do that out. they will be found out. But remember, the point of the entire scheme was that you and your boss remained connected to each other. And think about that for a second. If your boss had turned around to you on the first of April and says, I don't know what's going to happen with this COVID thing, uh, go on off and I'll get, you, I'll get you back when I need you. There's two things happen there. First of all, from a continuity of the business point of view, six weeks later, they come back looking for you. Oh, I found another job. Thanks. Good luck. I'm not coming back to you. But also, the boss... Uh, Believe me, and I'm, I don't know if you've ever had to, to do this, but the boss, when they let someone go, they're very reluctant to take them back because they're just scared of having to let them go again. Yeah. So could you imagine how that would have went over the last 10 months if they had to let them go, took them back on again, let them go, took them back on again? It, it would, the, the connection being re- remaining there, was the pay slips, it was incredibly important. Like it really did make a difference. The last thing I'm going to talk say about from wage subsidy, if you can't get your head around why it was taxable, I want you to think about this for a second. Imagine you and I are, I don't know, brother and sister, right? Mm-hmm. And we're both living at home and you lose your job and you go on to your 350 a week pub. Yeah. Okay. And I'm working in a chemist and I don't lose my job because it's an essential work and I go to work every day. Yeah. And imagine we both are in 350 a week. Yeah. I got up every morning and went to work and I ended up with 300 euros a week after tax. You stayed in bed every day. And didn't go to work and you ended up with 350. Like to it's me, just not fair. it's just not fair and it's not how society works. Um, and it, there is a responsibility on you to pay your own taxes. And that's where I started actually with all this. Employers, I, I'm not sure revenue did the right thing. Revenue have told employers now if they want to pay the employee's tax bill on their behalf, there won't be further taxes on, on that payment of tax, which I think is a mad thing to do. So in other words, they've made it tax efficient for employers to pay the employee's tax bill if they want to. Why do you think they... I just think it puts a responsibility on the employer. That's um, not fair. That's not fair. Like, really, what that is, if your employer pays your taxes for you for last year, that's a bonus you've just got. Yeah. It's a, it's a pay, it's not a pay rise because it's not forever, but it is a bonus you've just gotten. You've just, you need to accept that your boss is really looking after you if they're doing that. Your taxes are your responsibility. So I, I just think they put a huge responsibility. The only thing that, only justification for it in my mind would be if you were one of those people who got 70% from revenue, 15% from your boss, and your boss genuinely didn't realise that they were giving you a pay cut of 15% there. And now your boss wants to make it up to you, maybe. But other than that, I just don't think that that pressure needed to be put on companies who are really trying to keep going at the moment. I want to talk to you about another podcast on our network uh, today. It's called That's Banging. 
If you like food and you like drink, this is a food and drink podcast. You're going to love it. That's banging with Chris and Marcus. Hello, my friends, and welcome to That's Banging with me, Marcus Olera. And me, Chris Mellon. A new podcast celebrating everything good from farm to plate, ship to service, and field and fork. A celebration of everything tasty, fresh and excellent that's coming off our island at the moment. As well as interviews with people who are shaping the best of the best of food and drink from around the country. We'll be available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and everywhere else you get your podcasts. We have a bunch of questions from people. Should we get to them? Yeah, go for it. Um, Okay, so... This is a question for Owen from Erica. Would you please ask Owen about pensions? I'm 26. I don't have one. I really want to start one. I asked work to help me, but they told me I have to sort it myself. I've read loads about them. Nothing is going in. I need them explained to me like I'm a toddler. Which one should I be looking into? How do I start one up? What are the different rates? Please help. Okay. First thing to say is it's never too early and it's never too late to start a pension. Full stop, right? It doesn't matter if you're 17 or 70 is a little bit late because you still have to be working, right? But you 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 do, it's, all it is is a savings plan. Right. Right. And the difference is that when you put money into it, the government want you to provide for your own income in retirement. They want you to be financially okay and not reliant on them in okay. your retirement yeah. when, you, when you stop working. So what they do is they say to you, here's a savings policy, but we're going to give you serious tax breaks on it. So the first tax break that you get is when you put money into a pension, you get tax back on the money. If you're a PAYE worker, just keep it that way. You pay less tax. And the question I'd often ask people, and sometimes we do it if I'm doing a corporate gig and and you used to have 300 people in the room, and you'd say, um, who is paying into their pension? And 20% of the hands would go up. And then at the end of the thing, I'd say, who wants to pay more tax this year? And no hands would go up. You are paying more tax this year because you're not putting money into a pension. It's as simple as that. If you put €100 Euros into a pension, if you're on the higher rate of tax, you'll get you'll pay €40 Euros less tax this year. If you're on the standard rate of tax, you'll pay €20 Euros less tax. So how can she... So how She knows all that now. And how, how can she start? What should she, what where she, should she start? What she needs to do is, depending on where she's working, if she's working in a big employer, go talk to HR. They'll have somebody. Because, in fact, anybody who works for somebody else, anybody who's not self-employed, your boss is required to give you access to what's called a PRSA, a personal retirement savings account. That's the minimum standard that's required where your boss has to facilitate it through the wages. Your boss does not have to pay into it, but your boss has to have designated a PRSA provider. That's your first step. Talk to your boss. The bigger the job, the more likely it is that they're going to have people who will come in and talk to you about your pension. So this person has says that she's asked work to help, but they've told her she's to sort it herself. No, her, her, sorry, they are required to have a PRSA, okay. a designated PRSA provider. Yeah, yeah, they do. Now, if that's just too confrontational, you can talk to a bank. Like, I'm not big keen on it, but charges is where the problem is there. And um, you can talk to a bank. You can talk to a financial advisor. Like, people think the financial advisors are just for highfalutin people with lots of money. There are financial advisors out there who will set up pensions for people at 100 euros a month or 150 euros a month and will look at all the other stuff as well. Yeah. Um, and then there are certain financial advisors who won't do that because their business is just set up differently. But find a financial advisor and people then, one of the big questions I'm always asked on my Insta is who, uh, how do you find a financial advisor? As a country, we don't sit in the evening at dinner and say, oh, I met my financial advisor today. It was great crack. Like, it's just not a discussion we have. So you need to ask your friends, ask your family, ask people who are close to you. 
Do you have a financial advisor? Do you have a pension? Who did you set it up with? Because if they were suitable for them, they'd probably be suitable for you too. And also you are a financial advisor. I am a financial advisor, but <laughs> can I just say, Stephanie, we're not really looking for clients at the moment. We're a bit swamped. Okay, so don't go to <laughs> So the next person has a question. And she just wants to be anonymous, so we'll call her Jay. Myself and my boyfriend have €100,000 in savings between us. We're hoping to build in five years' time. Currently, we are renting. Oh, I think this was a question for the mortgage guy, but I'm going to ask you to. Currently, we are renting and we're toying with the idea of buying the house we are in, perhaps around the €250,000 mark, to live in until we build and then hopefully rent it out after that. We both pay 40% tax. Should we rent or until we build or should we buy? Okay, and, and the mortgage guy, I'm sure he's, I don't know who it was, right? But um, what I would say is, is that this is actually a financial planner question okay. because what you're trying to figure out here is what's the best use of my money and what options, what's the best way of leaving options on the table? Remember your end goal here is to build your house. Yeah. Okay, that's what you're trying to achieve. And once you start taking cash off the table, you are reducing your options, okay? You might be ready in life to go and build this house or life might change and you want to build a house a little bit quicker than you thought and maybe one person's salary might be affected. So what I would say there is, is the more cash you have in your pocket, first of all, the more options you have when you go to build the end goal, which is you're building your home. The other thing to say to you is, say to that person is, I am not a fan at all of this kind of stepping stone. Let's buy the house to buy the next house. Right. Okay. It's like the opposite of what the mortgage guy said. <laughs> yeah, okay. I'm not a fan at all. And I'll tell you why, because how many people, we can all go through our phone right now and find a handful of people who are in two bedroom apartments with three kids because they bought the apartment in 2006 with the expectation of two, three years time, we'll, move to, we'll sell this and move to a house. And they got stuck. But and this is not 2006, No. It, it doesn't matter. I do not want my clients building a financial plan that is reliant on the property market in any way. Okay. Okay. So you might want to do this build. If you want to do this build in 15 years time, by all means, go by and live in it for live in it for the next 15 years if you have to. What I would always say to people when they're buying a house or a home or apartment or whatever it is, buy it with the intention or the absolute acceptance and willingness that you would stay in it for at least 15 years. So the, what the mortgage guy said, and I'm just going to play devil's advocate here, because, um, and the mortgage guy is actually going out after you, but I'll put it in here. So he said that if they buy the house now, say it's 250 grand, uh, and they sell it in five years' time, even if it hasn't made any other money, they have saved the 40,000 euro in rent that they would be paying in the interim period. Are you just saying that if they did something else with that money, they could make more than that 40 grand? They could absolutely. Like, let's go back to the last question. I don't know what these people are earning. They've saved 100 grand. They're paying their rent. They're doing okay. They put that 100 grand into pension. They get 40 grand back in tax. Now, that's not what I'm telling. That's not the advice. But my point is that there's lots of other things that you can do with your money, right? And we don't know from the question that it's five years. We don't know when it is. We're hoping to build in five years time. Five years time. Then you can definitely do other things. With the money, okay. right? And I just think you're taking options off the table by going to buy, right? And the problem is, is that unless you're going to reinstate that savings again, you are less attractive to the bank because now you have a second mortgage but might have rent on it and you have less savings. So I am just not convinced that the idea of you getting caught up in this whole property prices and where are they going to be in five years time is the right thing to do. Okay. Cleaner. 
I put through my 2017 tax return, medical expenses, etc. And I got a refund. A couple of weeks later, I found some other receipts that I left out by accident. Can I go back and edit it now or is it final? No, actually, this is a brilliant question because I don't do tax returns, right? But the uh, sometimes some accountants will say to you, no, it's done, it's done. You can't go back in and do it again. Um, and others will say, oh, no, you can go back in and do it. What I would say there is, is I would... I think the brilliance of naivety is what's what's your what's in your favour here. I would take the extra receipts and I now some accountants what they would say to you if they were doing your self employed books, I know this is a PAYE worker, right? Isn't it? Yeah, it doesn't say. Okay. I put through assu- myself. Yeah, assuming it's PAYE worker. Some accountants would just say, Oh look, we'll allow for it next year. Yeah. Okay, and they, they they would be happy to stand over that. But naivety is your is your friend here. Write to revenue and say, here I forgot to put these in, and oftentimes they'll adjust the return for you. Okay, Rian. Rev- revenue won't like me for that one. But. Rian, uh could you please discuss the game stock? Okay, we're gonna come GameStop. We're gonna come back to that because that's gonna take up too much time. Anne Marie, I have a pension in work. How do I add to this AVCS? ABCs. Do I need to go through a financial planner? How to determine how much extra to put in? Should a percentage going by age bracket be a target or should it be invested in another way? And also, obviously, I need to pay tax for the country to run, but I don't want to be throwing away my hard-earned moolah. Yeah, very good. The reality that this person has said that they have a scheme and work already. Yeah. AVC. So generally what happens is, is if you've if you're part of a, a big employee scheme, yeah. they, there's rules around that scheme. So you go into work, you join the pension scheme and the rules might be simple rules. Like if you put in 5%, your employer puts in 5% of your mm-hmm. salary or if you put in four, they'll only put in four. Right. To keep those rules very defined. They then say, look, the max you can put into the main scheme is 5% and we'll match the 5%. Now, making the numbers up, right? If you want to do any more than that, if you want to put in an additional amount, we'll put them into additional voluntary contributions, AVCs. Okay. Okay, so this is uh, contributions on top of the ordinary. And if you have a main scheme, that means that there is advice being given to the company and the person who's giving that advice, the companies who've given that advice will be happy to talk to you about AVCs. So that person needs to talk to their HR department and the HR will be able to tell them, yeah, or payroll, whatever the, the setup is. Um, and they will tell them, yeah, this is the person we talk to about this. And what you'll usually find is, is particularly in bigger employers, oh yeah, they always come in in March or yeah. they always come in in June and they do a presentation. They'll talk to anyone who wants to talk to them then. And that's the way I would do it. How much should you put in? It starts at, um, in your 20s, you can put in 15. The maximum you're allowed to put in is 15% of your salary. It goes up to 20% in your 30s, 25% in your 40s, goes all the way up to 40% in your 60s. Okay. And it, the, the, the gaps change to five years after 50. And the reality is, is you put in as much as you can possibly afford to not have access to until you retire. Okay. And it's as simple as that. And people will get caught up in these numbers and worry about it. The simplest thing I can tell anybody to do is... You put in how much you can afford now and you promise yourself from this day forward, you will always put 50% or 75% of any future pay rise you ever get. What and do you mean? That you're on 50 grand a year now. Okay. You get a pay rise next year to 55 grand. Promise yourself that 50% of that's going into your pension. You haven't got used to it yet. Yeah, okay. You, you're, you're, and that's actually been proven from a behavioural economics point of view to be the best way to get people to commit to putting money into pension. You've just got a five grand pay rise. You didn't I'm asking need it. you, you didn't, you didn't, your, your life, your lifestyle creep is what we call it, hasn't kicked in, where your lifestyle is expanded to the income, income that you have. So commit two and a half grand of money that you've never got used to before. Or and that's get 50%. used to two and a half grand yes, or whatever. Get used to the extra two and a half grand. You'll still feel like you've got your pay rise. Cool. 
Um, Sinead, my question for Omegi is whether my husband and I should review our separate health policies. We have separate policies thanks to our respective jobs, but I'm wondering if we're paying unnecessary benefit in kind taxes because of the separate policies. Separate policies, it's about the overall cost of it, what it is. There's a really good website, uh, HSA, I think it is. I'll, I'll, I'll send it to you afterwards, Stephanie. You can put it up on your post. But I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, but um, it, that will go in and you can compare the policy that you have and it'll show you exactly what's out there in the market. It's a government, it's a government website. It's not even a, it's not a company. But you can compare what you have to what's out there in the market and the difference in the cost. Um, just be careful, though, because oftentimes with those schemes, um, you will find that they're big corporate schemes and they've been discounted heavily. Right. Okay. Um, and what I would say is, is the if you're really struggling with it, I strongly and I don't know, I've never spoken to him in my life, but Dermot Good is absolutely brilliant on this stuff. What like, does he talk about? So he talks about health insurance, right? And he is brilliant at this stuff, and and he's got an encyclopedic knowledge of all the different types of policies that are out there. And he, I don't know if you've ever heard him. On, Maybe uh, we'll get him on the podcast. Yeah, he's very very good. Um, okay. He's he's specifically health insurance, but he's excellent. Cool. Jackie, I lived in Australia for 10 years and I came back and I worked for 10 months. Now off work for the last four years having my sec- after having my second child. I picked up something Owen said in his first or second show about, that's the TV show that Owen does, we'll talk about that after, about how many PRSI contributions you need. Should I be signing on each week? Will I miss out on my state pension? I've no idea how it all works. And I started minding a child three days a week, so I'm making 150 euro a week. Should I register for tax? It seems such a small amount to be paying tax on, but again, I'm finding it hard to get in. in information on it. The first thing I'd say is that at 150 euros a week, you can register with the tax system, but you won't have any tax to pay. So it's beneficial for you to pay tax. We can earn roughly 16 grand a year here um, before we start getting having to pay tax. Um, so I don't see there any disadvantage to you paying claiming or putting the, the wage true and declaring to revenue this is what, what I'm doing and you know what it's the right thing to do yeah. so I would suggest that you do do that as regards PRSI contributions there is I posted it at the weekend someone asked it on the Q&A on Instagram um, but there is a website contribution statement is what you're looking for and you request a contribution statement and it tells you how many contributions they have on record for you already topping up by registering with that there are certain elements of PRSI contributions that you'll start getting because they're registering the 150 a week I wouldn't get overly panicked about it like what I would say is is this person has just said that they've had a child right Uh, they've been off work for the last four years after having their second child okay so they're going to be young uh, ish whatever not sure but they're not 60 anyway Um, so what I would say is is that our rule of thumb in private practice is if you're under 40 years of age and this is a little bit controversial right because people but if you're under 40 years of age we're going to assume you're not going to get a state pension Okay. And the reason is, is because right now there are five people working paying pay related social insurance, PRSI. Right. So for the five people working, there's one person retired. Yeah. So five people are paying their retirement. They're paying for not just the retirement, all social welfare benefits, everything. So the reality is, is you've got five people working paying for one person's all the social welfare benefits, but there's only one of those people are retired. By 2050, there'll be two people working for every one person retired. Wow, okay. So I am just saying, if you're under 40, very good chance you're not getting a, a state pension. Nice, and thanks you, Owen, thank if, you. If you do get it, it'll be a bonus, but we're not building it into clients' financial plans. Right, okay. Noreen, my question is around the 60-40 portfolios you talk about on your show. Could you talk a bit more about how you'd go with setting it up? Is it something you can set up yourself or on the likes of 
D-E-G-I-R-O DeGiro or other online brokers or would you be better off getting a financial planner to set it up and then we have one more question one more question okay this is something that um, I talk about all the time on social media and on the TV and whatever else the 60-40 portfolio is effectively it's not effectively it's just a style of investing it's not that you can walk into a financial planner and say, can I have a 60-40 portfolio? They should know what you're talking about. And if they're not, maybe walk into a different financial planner, right? But it's 60% of your money goes into the world stock markets. Like I'm talking, you'd be invested across five, 6,000 companies here. Yeah. And every big company you can think of is probably included in that. And then the other 40% is where you give a loan of your money to companies and governments in the form of what's called bonds. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the, there's lots of discussion around whether that's the right split or not. It's time tested, like it has proven to be very successful for people who don't have an advisor. And I want to be very careful here. If you go and pay someone for advice and you trust them and they're the right fit for you, take their advice. Don't take my advice in 60-40. 60-40 is about the no-brainer portfolio. It's about if you don't have an advisor, what should you do? You should do a 60-40 portfolio. And how do you implement these things? You go into a bank or you go into a financial planner, you go into, um, you can go on some of the online, I'm going to talk about slightly, I'm not going to specifically mention that particular company she just or he just mentioned, but... um, Because they're problematic or... Not at all, no, because I don't want to identify anyone as being worse than the other. I just don't, I want to to talk about the group as a whole. But you can go to all of these things, but you can go onto those online trading platforms, Mm -hmm. okay? And um, when you go onto the online ones, the big fear I have with that is people don't understand how the tax is calculated on them. Okay. And some of the companies can make it easier for, t- for you to tell you this is what tax is due, but it's still your responsibility. I have come across people who have made lots of money and didn't realise that they haven't been looking after their taxes on it and they've got a tax mess now. And when you go to some of the big investment houses here, I can talk about stockbrokers here. I'm talking about um, the life companies here, the people that you can invest money through. Yeah, they might be a bit more expensive, but you know what? Generally, what you'll find is if the taxes due, they're taking them out of it before you get your hands on it. And they're looking after the taxes and they're making sure you're paying the right taxes. And you can make all the growth in the world, but if you get a tax penalty and interest, believe me, you are goosed is the best word I can use. So just be careful about using them because they are very accessible. But the reality is, is you can leave yourself. If you don't know what you're doing, if you do know what you're doing, go for it. Right. Finally, um, I find it all so helpful. I mean, I is that you, it, Stephanie? Now, no. or did <laughs> oh no, hang on. This is was that Kira? I think that was the same question again. My question is about sixty forty. Yeah, perfect. Okay. Um, so that person who asked about GameStop, we absolutely do not have time. But I heard you on radio talking about it and making it very simple. So what I will do is put a link to that in the show notes. It wasn't even on radio. It was my Instagram. It was post on my Instagram. Was it your Instagram? Because my mum was like, I was listening to Owen. Did you do three parts? She hasn't. Yeah. He hasn't put up the last part yet. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's three parts of my Instagram stories. Yeah. Okay. On my Inst- IGTV. Okay, so it's going to be there. Yeah. So if you want to understand what happened with GameStop and the stock market, go to Owen's Instagram television and he has explained it in three parts or he will at least when this comes out. No, Owen. the three parts are up there now. Oh, they're up there now. My yeah. mum will be delighted. Um, and also you can see Owen on RTE on when? Thursday nights, half past eight, How to Be Good With Money. Um, which is also the title of his book, which I bought um, for I gave you a free copy. You gave me a free copy, but I bought it for two of my friends for Christmas because <laughs> one of them lives in Dubai and wanted to get it because... And I didn't even sign it for them. No, you didn't because I didn't see you because of COVID. <laughs> okay, fair I enough. I gave you a copy. I know you gave me a copy, but I also supported you in other ways. So you're okay. welcome. <laughs> no, so mackers. the book is actually last week. It was lovely, actually. It was really nice because uh, the book launched last March. I think you were invited to the launch. And then then, co- then COVID happened and it was cancelled. And... Um, <laughs> 
and they took the shelves away. Like I had no shelves to sell my book from. Like all the shops were closed, but it was still hitting number two and number three and number five in the charts. And and I hung around in the top 10 for about three months. Like it did really, really well. And then the shops opened up again and the sales stayed up high. And since Christmas, it has been flying off the shelves. Because the show's back on? It's because of the show. It's because it's January. Um, Easton's were quite good in terms of their shops had closed, but it was front and centre on their website. Um, and it has just flown. Last week, We I was number one, which I was delighted with. Congrats. Um, number one. And that was something that had evaded me. Like, I remember the first week, right? I, I know, I, I, you were so close. <laughs> was it Luke O'Neill? It wasn't, it wasn't Luke O'Neill. It was Adam Kay. So I was reading a book oh, at the yeah. time and I was telling loads of people, oh, this book is great. This book is great. Then the charts came out and it beat me by 11 books. And I was like, oh my That's God. your doing. <laughs> yeah. So if you want to read Owen's book, it's called How to Be Good with Money, which is the same name as the show. And I highly recommend it. But also go to Owen's uh, Instagram and find out about GameStop and all the links will be in the show notes. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to another episode of Basically. I really do appreciate the fact that you tune in every week and that you message me about how you're feeling about the podcast or what you got from it or you share it on your stories. I love that engagement and the community that's kind of growing around this podcast feels very, I don't know, it feels like a community and that's lovely. Um, There's now about, yeah, like over 160 of you um, who have subscribed to Headstuff Plus and... For that, I am incredibly grateful. Those 160 people get bonus material every month. And if you also want to be part of the Headstuff Plus community, you it's five euro a month or more if you want. And you can register by going on to headstuffpodcasts.com forward slash register. And that'll bring you right in there to it. Uh, this month's bonus material is... Well, there's going to be two. One of them is Alan and I going through your emails of podcast suggestions and trying to make a plan for the future. So a little bit of behind the scenes there about how we kind of put these things together and the back and forth that goes on. And then the other bonus material is me singing. Well, actually, it's a conversation with my pal Clelia Murphy, who you might know from Fair City or from Dancing with the Stars. And um, she lives in my 5K. So we've been going for socially distant walks. And we just had a, a chat about about life, about what I used to do before I was a writer, about her experience of being an actor on a soap. And then she made me sing a song, um, which, which was very uncomfortable. But anyway, thank you so much for listening. Please rate and review the show. I really mean that. Please, if you haven't done it, could you go on to iTunes or Apple Podcasts and just write a quick review or give us a five star, four star rating, whatever you feel is we deserve and I would be very grateful for that. As always, our music is by Only Ruin. Our graphic design is by Kahlo Gara, and I'm produced by Alan Bennett at the Podcast Studios. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com.